Well, good morning, church. Let's stand together.
that sometimes all we can do is just speak the name of Jesus over our situation. Five eight. 
shower, O heavens from above, and let the clouds rain down. Righteousness. Let the earth open, that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. I think if we're humans, we can all agree that we go through seasons of life where there's plenty of rain, so to speak, in our lives, good things. But there's a lot of those moments where we feel like we're in the desert where our uh, things in our life, our crops haven't been watered, and we feel like we're not bearing fruit, we're not seeing good things happen. And when I read this, it reminded me, you know, there's two types, types of rain. There's the reigning, like the ruler, who he reigns in our life, God reigns in our life, but then there's also the rain that he can pour out with his Holy Spirit in our lives. And I wrote a little note that says, after rain comes blessing. Sometimes there's those moments where you're going through something you don't know why, and it feels like you're in the desert, and you, you're wondering, when is my time, God? Remember, those are learning times in those dry seasons, but then when he pours out his rain on your life, and those crops come to life, things sprout up, Those moments you can see that it was all worth it, everything you've gone through. I pray this morning that, you know, I know we come in here and we sing songs and we're up front and we really don't want you to see us. We're all about worshiping Jesus. That's what all of this is about. And I pray this morning that for the next few moments that you will just not worry about who's next to you or what they're going to think. Hey, this freaky person's raising their hands or whatever but that you'll just enter into a time of complete surrender and complete worship. The altar's always open. Whatever you need, I pray that you just don't worry about who's around you. This is, this is your relationship with God. This isn't your husband or wife's relationship with God. They handle that themselves. You're responsible for your relationship with God. So let's just take a few moments going to sing just some choruses together and ask God to let it rain over our lives, to pour out his blessings, his spirit, to heal things, to see financial breakthroughs, marriages restored, to see Goliaths fall in our lives. Amen. So Lord, would you do what only you can do this morning?
Jesus, that was a You know, there were times in the Bible that um, the land was in a drought. And, and you know that when there's a drought, that things begin to die. But on many occasions, there was someone who would pray for rain. someone that wasn't going to take no for an answer and they said I'm going to stand here and I'm going to pray for rain until this drought goes away until the rain falls from the sky and saturates everything around me because it's then when the soil gets the rain that's when things begin to come to life when we sing about this rain this morning, there's some of you, you're, you've come in here today and you're dry. You've come in here and it feels like that you're walking in the midst of a desert. And in the midst of a desert, there will be times that, that you think you see water ahead but it's just a mirage. You've been that way in your life. You, you think, well, if I can just get there because I see water. And so you go about it your own way and you get there, you get to that thing that you think is going to satisfy your soul. And you get there and it's not there. Sometimes we just have to, to stand still and say, God, I'm not going to die in this desert. God, let it rain. Let 
The reign of God is, is representation of blessings. God, I'm, I'm not going to move until you bless me. God, I'm not going to die in this desert. And I don't want to prolong the point, but, but, but sometimes we have to come to a situation that we are beyond desperate. And I believe that there's people here today that you're beyond desperate. And I'm going to ask Rachel to sing that course just one more time. And I'm going to challenge you to cry out to God and say, God, I'm dying here. I need your rain. God, I'm dry. I need your rain. Just as in the Bible, they would pray for the rain of God. I'm going to challenge you to do that right here, right in this moment. Don't let it pass you by. Sing that course through one more time, Rachel.
Father, I thank you that you make a way when there seems to be no way. God, I thank you already for your Holy Spirit that we feel in this place today. God, we thank you for the fresh rain. God, that's flooding our soul. God, as we continue to go into your word today, Father, I pray that our hearts will be attentive and receptive to what you want to speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you do a work that only you can do. God, that there will be people that, who may have come in here one way. But God will leave completely different through your power. Father, thank you for your reign. God, we need you. just another moment and just recognize his presence here today Father we thank you God we thank you for showing up when we don't even deserve it God we thank you that we can come and gather together and you've promised us that you will be in our midst God, we're tired of the same old stale religion. stand in your presence.
that you be seated. I'm going to ask you to just to, to stay in the same mindset. I believe that, that the Holy Spirit has something to say to us today that, that we need to hear. I'm going to go through it as quickly as I can. We, um, we started a, a series two weeks ago. We started talking about this, the story of the life of David. We've been looking at, at some things in, in David's life that, that we need to check to see if they're in our lives. Uh, we entitled the series, Check Yourselves. Check Yourselves. Are there things that, that we need in our life that King David had in his life that we don't have. We talked about in the first week of, of being a self-sacrificing heart. Last week we talked about being self-aware. And for the, for the sake of time, you can go back and listen to those if you didn't get to hear them. But we understand that leadership is, is relationship. Leadership is not just about you at work. It's not just about you and your business. It, it is everyone that you're connected to. It's about relationships. How we conduct ourselves affects those we are connected to. And so today, just for the next few minutes, I want to talk about how to self-correct. Not auto-correct. Uh, I have a, a love-hate relationship with auto-correct. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I love it when, when I don't know how to spell a word. I wish they would have had it when I was in school. Uh, sometimes my daughter will be texting me, and, and she'll spell this big, long word, and I'm thinking, man, she's smart, and then it hits me. No, she's not. I mean, she might be, but, but more than likely, you know, it just pops up. And, and I've even asked her, how did you spell that word? Well, it popped up right down at the bottom. Or, or it put that little red squiggly line under it, so I knew it wasn't right, and it corrected it for me. It is for those reasons that I love autocorrect. But also, sometimes autocorrect can, can be embarrassing, uh, when someone is trying to, to, to say something, but it keeps changing it to something else. Anybody ever have that happen? Sometimes it will correct it to words that, that you would even never say. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever had that happen to you? Come on, unintentionally you said something, so the rest of you did it on purpose, I guess. It's happened to all of us. And sometimes it'll take me like four or five times. I'll, I'll send a message, I'll send a word, and it'll, it'll correct it to what it thinks it is. And I'm like, oh, that's not it, and I'll do it, and I'll type it again. But I send it again, and sometimes I'll do it four or five times. So we're not talking about autocorrect this morning because it's not always the best thing in the world. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, we're going to talk about self-correction. The best leaders have the ability to make adjustments. The best coaches know how to make adjustments. The winningest coaches know how to make adjustments. Last Sunday night, we gathered and, and, and probably about 150 of us watched the Super Bowl. Well, probably about 50 of us watched the Super Bowl and the other 100 just ate. But we came up here and, and we were sitting and, and the first... One, two, three, four. The first four or five, four rows were completely filled. It's amazing what the Super Bowl will do to get people to the front. And we're all sitting there and we're all 
you know, we're all sitting real close and, and we're not worried about anything. And, and uh, I made the statement. I said, I cannot believe that Joe Burrow has only been sacked one time. Yes, I caused it. Because if you're a sports fan, you know you're not supposed to call those things out. And I promise you, within the next 10 minutes, he had been sacked four or five times. And so the announcers, they started making uh, and showing the adjustments that the Rams had made to change the dynamic of the game. And it was because of those adjustments that, that the course of the Super Bowl was changed. The greatest leaders know how to make adjustments. The greatest CEOs know how to make adjustments. Do you know who, which couples have the best marriage? It's those people that know how to make adjustments. And they realize that it's not going to just correct itself. It's not just autocorrect. It's a decision that you yourself have to make. I have to make the adjustments. I have to make the sacrifice. I need to become self-aware. So today, for a few minutes, we're going to talk about self-correct. What does that mean? I define it as to adjust to God's voice. Aren't you thankful that we serve God that wants the best for us? He tells us that over and over and over in His Word. He's for us. He's not against us. It's His will that we prosper. He doesn't want us to be average. He wants us to be great. Not for our glory, but for His. And His voice is always speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. His voice is always speaking to us through His Word. His voice will speak to us through a person that He will bring into our lives. The, the adjustments that we need to make, if we will listen to these things, it will take us from where we are to where we need to be. But when we stop listening to God's voice, we become set in our ways. And when we do that, what we're really saying is, is God, I'm content right where I am. I'm satisfied on the course, on the road that I'm on. David knew how to self-correct at a young age. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 5 through 7, it says, Immediately he felt guilty. He said to his men, God forbid that I have done this to my master, God's anointed, that I should so much as raise a finger against him. He's God's anointed. David held his men in check with these words and wouldn't let them pounce on Saul. Saul got up, left the cave, and went on down the road. So here we have, David has went into a cave with his men, and they're deep into the cave. The next thing he knows, Saul walks into the cave. He went into the cave with his men. But something happened. When he cut the robe, immediately he realized that he was wrong. The difference in, in, in having an average life, the difference in, in being an average leader and being great 
is that great leaders respond immediately. The, the New Testament principle is found in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15, when it says, Today, when you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Today, when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you through worship, through his word, he says, don't harden your hearts. When you hear his voice, listen. And that's the sign of someone who wants to stay on course. When they're given direction, they don't just sit on it. They don't just take their time on it. They don't say, well, God, I know you're speaking to me, but, but I'm just not ready yet. They realize that, that I need to make an adjustment and I need to make it now. You see, time doesn't always heal. It can harden. And here's what happens in your relationship with God. God deals with you about something and you don't respond. Over time, things don't become easier, they become harder. That's why it is so important to self-correct. Proverbs 27, 12 says, the foolish keep going and they pay a price for it. The foolish are on the wrong course, but they just keep going. They don't stop. And with every step, they make it harder and the price becomes greater. The quicker we respond to God, the better off we are. That's true in our marriages, in our lives, in our business, in our walk with God. That's true in the way that we talk to our wives or, or the way that we treat our husbands. It's true in the way that we handle our children. We listen to the voice of God and we make the adjustments that need to be made. Which brings us to David in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And I'm just going to uh, summarize what takes place here. Now, now, we've learned that before he was king, he was doing great. Before he was king, he said, listen, I made a mistake. We're not even going to touch him again. We're not going to cut his robe. We're not going down that path. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, David is now king. David is a little seasoned. So one day he's in his palace and he's sitting there and he begins to think, Lord, you have brought us a long way. We have won so many battles. We have conquered so many lands. God, I wonder how big my army is. And so he calls Joab, his trusted friend, and he says, would you go out and number the people in my army? I want to know how big my army is. And Joab looks at him and he says, you're going to bring a lot of guilt to Israel by doing this. This is not the right thing for you to do. It's not the right thing for you to do with this intent. And David begins to, to, to rationalize. And he says, there's nothing wrong with counting people. I want to know how big my army is. And so he won. Joab said, that's fine. I'll do what you want me to do. But you're going to pay a price. And so he went and he numbered a whole lot of people. As a matter of fact, the Bible says 1.57 million people in his army. Now, can you imagine how long it would have taken to do that back in those days? 
Well, you don't have to imagine because 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 8 says, they finished at Jerusalem after nine months and 20 days. Actually, I think that was pretty efficient. But what I know during those nine months and 20 days is that I know that God had to be speaking to David. The entire time that this was happening, Joab, his counsel that, that he had given David had to be ringing in David's ear. This is wrong. The Holy Spirit had to be speaking to him. You shouldn't be doing this. This isn't right. This is the wrong motive. But David has went from immediately responding to last week we learned that he sat and pouted for three months over the Ark of the Covenant. And now today, nine months and 20 days. He's went from immediately responding to being numb to what he's being told. There's a danger in being numb to the Holy Spirit. There's a danger in not listening to God. There's a danger in shutting out the wise counsel in your life. So almost 10 months goes by and he finally realizes, I blew it. I was wrong. And the Bible says that the Lord was displeased with him. So he sent the prophet Gad to him. And when he, David says, listen, I've sinned. I've made a mistake. My decision was rooted in pride. I wanted to know how big and how strong my army was. But I know that it's not anything that I've done. It's what God has done all along. I was wrong. So after nine months and 20 days, almost 10 months, David admits it. And God tells Gad, a prophet, he says, go to David and tell him this. Tell him that he can pick his punishment. Did anybody have parents that, that would tell you to, to go pick your switch? Anybody? All right, we've got a few old timers. You right here in the front row, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You lose your iPad or your iPhone or, you know, your PlayStation, your switch, that kind of thing. Now, listen, back in the day... Your parents would say, you're getting ready to get a beating. And to make it even worse, you go outside, find a tree, and pick the switch that I'm going to whip you with. That's sort of what was going on here with David. He says, you get to pick your punishment. So he gave him three choices. He said, you're either going to get three years of famine... You're going to have three months of your enemies trouncing you. Or you're going to have three days with me being God. Three days of pestilence in the land. And so David said, I'll take option three. I'll take the punishment from God because he's merciful. And can I tell you that, that when you make a mistake... The best thing that you can do is fall into the hands of God because he's merciful. Don't try to fight it. Don't try to fix it. Just fall into his hands. Humble yourself. And David, in this instance, he fell into the hands of God. And God did what he said he was going to do. On day one, he sent a pestilence through the land and 70,000 people died. Now you think, man, that seems harsh just for a census. 
Everything written in the Old Testament is for us to learn from. It's for our correction and for our protection. This allows us to know that there are consequences for the choices that we make. You've heard it put this way. What a man sows, he will reap. So in this moment, day one, 70,000 people fall. And David runs to God and he sees the angel getting ready to do something even greater. And David cries out. David said, don't punish these people. It's something that I have done. And so out of compassion, out of mercy, God stops. And once again, he tells Gad, he said, go to David and tell him this. Tell him to go to a threshing floor, make an altar, and offer up a sacrifice to God. And he said, if he will do that, he will get back on the right course. God says, I'm not going to put him on the right course automatically. He's going to have to self-correct. So David goes to the threshing floor. He goes to a threshing floor owned by Ornan. And when he gets there and he tells him what's going on, Ornan looks at him and he says, just take it. You can have it. You can have the oxen. You, you can have everything here. And David said, no, I have to pay for it. I can't offer God something that has cost me nothing. And so in that moment, uh, David paid for it. And then he offered up a sacrifice. And, and because of that, the pestilence stopped after just one day. This morning, very quickly, I want to give you some things that will prevent you from getting off course. But then if you do get off course, you may be off course right now. If you're not, there's going to come a time that you're tempted or that you end up on the wrong course. So we're going to talk about some ways that will help us from getting off course, but also ways, some things that will help us get back on the right course if we're not. God doesn't want us to fail. We've all made mistakes, but it's never too late to get back on course. So the first thing that you need to do is that you need to understand, you need to adjust who's the target. So many times when something's coming against us, we think, well, it's just us that the enemy's coming against. But we have to realize that when the enemy is coming after us, when the enemy is coming after me, it's not just me that he's coming after. I mean, if I do something stupid, it not only affects me, but it affects everyone connected to me. If I get off course, it affects everyone. It's not just about me. It would be about my marriage or my daughter or this church or the relationships that I have, the people that are connected to me. And you need to understand that that is the enemy's target. It's not just you. And when you begin to think about it that way, it should help keep you on the right path because you realize you're not just affecting yourself. You say, show it to me, Pastor. First Chronicles 21.1 says, Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. It doesn't say that, that Satan stood against David. It says he stood against Israel. Yes, he was going to use David to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. He was going to try to get David off course to try to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. But David wasn't the target. 
Jesus wasn't the target when he was tempted in the desert. The target wasn't Jesus. We were the target. If Jesus would have gotten off course, it would have sealed our fate. It's your kids that he's after, not just your marriage. It's the next generation that he's after, not just you. And we have to course correct to save all of those that are connected to us. And when we're willing to do that, and when we really understand who he's after, it helps us stay on course. Secondly, we have to adjust to godly counsel. 1 Chronicles 21.4 says, Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. My question to you is, is who in your life can tell you no? Who knows you close enough to say you're wrong? That's wrong. And if you're not aware of it, let me tell you that the higher you go, the higher up you get, the harder it is to listen to the word no. You may have heard the saying, it's lonely at the top. Well, being lonely at the top also makes you vulnerable because you don't have or won't listen to counsel. And that's what happened to David in this story. If you don't invite counsel into your life, you're in danger. When the Bible says that the king's word prevailed, that means that there was a struggle. That means that David and Joab went back and forth. And Joab said, this is wrong. And David said, no, it's not. Joab said, this is wrong. David said, no, it's not. Joab said, don't do it. And David said, I'm king. I'm going to do it. And this isn't just for presidents and kings. Men, you're the head of the household. It doesn't get any higher to you in the family unit. Are you leading your wife? Are you leading your children? Are you being sensitive to godly counsel? Me, myself, and I aren't the three wise men. We have to understand and be grateful for the people that God puts in our life. I'm so thankful for, for people that God's put in my life to counsel me, to check me, to, to tell me no, to correct me. The king's word doesn't always have to prevail. Men, you don't always have to get your way. You need to listen to godly counsel. There's safety in counsel. The Bible tells us that in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. It says, where there is no guidance, the people falls. But in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. You have to understand that. Listen, you can always find someone who will tell you what you want to hear. You know how it is, kids. If, if dad says no, then you're going to go to mom. Because maybe mom will say, okay. We do that as adults. There's something that we want to do in life, and we're going to keep going until somebody agrees with us. Listen, those people are always easy to find. It's easy to find yes men. But we need people in our life who will tell us the truth. We need people in our life who will give us godly counsel, and we have to adjust to it and listen. Thirdly, we need to adjust our motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? There are things that, that you could do that aren't wrong within themselves, but when you take into account the motives, they become wrong. You say, what is wrong with numbering the people? I mean, the book of Numbers, it's all about a census. I mean, 20-some chapters that, that if you're going through the one-year Bible, you're just trying to get through just, and not fall asleep. 
It wasn't the census that was wrong. It was David's motives behind it. His motives was pride. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's just a, a fancy way of saying that the word of God, if you will allow it, it will show you your motives. David wasn't numbering the people for God's glory. He was doing it for his. And when you're going down a path, why are you doing it? What are your motives? Why are you talking to that old high school friend? I mean, in and of itself, it's not wrong, but that's where a lot of inappropriate relationships have started. There are things that we do in our life that aren't wrong unless the motives are. And when you're going down that road, you have to ask yourself the question. You have to get into God's word. You have to listen to godly counsel and say, what are my motives? For David, it wasn't about a census. That's not why God was angry. It was because what was not right in his heart. Check your motives, listen to counsel, and know that the devil, who the devil is actually after. If you can do those things, it'll help you stay on course. You say, well, pastor, what do I do if I get off course? How do I self-correct? We can learn that from David as well. The first thing we have to do when we're off course, when we've made a mistake, is we need to confess it. Don't blame it on someone else. Don't make excuses. Confess it. In 1 Chronicles 21.8, David said, I have sinned greatly. David confessed it in this moment. He said, I have sinned. And not just a little bit. A whole lot. But not only did, did David confess it, he also named it. In verse 17 of that same chapter, it says, I commanded the people to be numbered. He didn't say, well, I've just sinned, but I'm going to keep my sin to myself. I want you to know that I've messed up, but I'm not going to tell you what I did. David confessed it, he admitted it, and then he named it. And there's something about when we make a mistake, confessing it. Confession is good for your soul. And after you've done that, you need to own it. Saul was never like David. Uh, there was a point in time that, that Samuel told Saul, he said, you're getting ready to go into battle against the Philistines. Don't do anything until I get there. But in the moment, Saul was there. And the people were getting a little bit anxious. And they were afraid they were going to be taken. And Saul looked around and, and he didn't see Samuel. So he said, just bring it to me. We're going to go ahead and sacrifice. And so they sacrificed it then and they went into battle with the Philistines. And it says, as soon as that happened, Samuel shows up. And he comes to Saul and says, what did you do? I told you not to do anything until I got here. 
But instead of owning it, Saul said, what did I do? It's your fault. You were late. It's because of you. You can read all about that in 1 Samuel chapter 13. He said, you made me do it. Listen, it is in our human nature to blame someone else. I mean, isn't it what Adam did to God? Adam, what have you done? Well, God, it's your fault. You gave me her. When you make a mistake, you confess it, you admit it, you name it, and you own it. You have to pay for it. It's up to you. Oren tells David, just take it. David said, no, I can't do it. I can't just take it. I can't give God something that has cost me nothing. You say, well, that sounds like works. No, we know that forgiveness is free. But the fruit that you produce after forgiveness is a sign that you value the forgiveness that you've been given. Luke chapter 3, verse 8. Bring forth fruit, proving your repentance. That was John the Baptist that said that. He said, offer up something to prove that you are grateful for forgiveness. How much do you value it? When you confess it, when you own it, you're making a statement. You're saying, I forsake it. I forsake it. In other words, that sin that you've been, and that path that you've been going down, you admit it, you name it, you confess it, and by doing that, then you say, I'm going to forsake it. In other words, I'm going to turn my back to it. In other words, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to course correct. I want to bring forth fruit, not as penance, but as repentance. Repent is not a word that's preached much these days, but it's still in there. He said, will you offer up your life for the one who's offered up his? And when we forsake it, we turn our back to the sins that we've committed, the course that we've been going down. Listen, we can read the whole life of David, and he was continually messing up. He was sinning greatly, but he didn't sin repeatedly. He stopped, he turned his back on it, and he trusted God to redeem it. That's the best part of this message. 2 Chronicles 3.1 tells us this. Then Solomon again began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. You say, Pastor, I don't understand what you're getting at. This is telling us that the temple was built on the same ground where David went and paid Ornan. He sacrificed. He could have taken it for free. And if we learn, we find out that David paid 50 shekels of gold 
for the threshing floor and the oxen. But then he paid 600 shekels of gold for all the land around it. David was sacrificing. He was correcting his course and he was saying, I'm not doing this just for now. I'm doing this for the next generation. He said, I'm owning my mistakes. I'm getting back on course. And it was because that, that David bought that land for morning that his son was able to build the temple, built on the mistakes that his dad had made. He bought everything around it. So my question to us today, if we look at our lives, maybe you were standing here during worship and the Holy Spirit was dealing with you. The Holy Spirit was saying, you need to course correct. You need to get back on track. You need to... to, to Repent of some things that are in your life. You need to, to draw close to me. And it's so easy in those moments just to say, oh, I'm not ready for that yet. Oh, oh, it's not time for that yet. God, I know it's what I need to do, but, but not today. The longer you put it off, the longer you stay on the course that you are on, your heart begins to harden. And with every step that you take down the wrong path, it becomes harder and harder and more difficult. There's a greater price to be paid to get back on course. She and I were, went out of town for a couple of days this past week. And I love Waze, W-A-Z-E. That's a guidance. It's a, you know, for you old-fashioned people, that's today's garment, Okay. But we're going down the road and all of a sudden it says, get off here. And I'm looking at that thing thinking, why would I get off here? I've been this to Cincinnati a thousand times. Why would I get off here? I didn't listen. I kept driving. And I drove just a little bit farther. I saw cars backed up for miles. And in that moment, I'm thinking, man, that was stupid. I mean, I had something that was smarter than me telling me which way to go, but I didn't listen. So then I had a choice. I could get in that line and just wait, or I could just keep driving. 
And the longer I kept driving, it kept telling me, turn around, turn around, make a U-turn. You're going way off course. And I kept driving and finally I said, okay, I'm going to listen. Because usually if you keep driving, you know, it'll just correct and send you a different way. No, it kept saying, turn around. Go the way I told you to start with, dummy. And I finally turned around. Came back. Got on the right course. And it was smooth sailing to downtown. There's some of you here today that God's looking at you and if he uses the word dummy, he's saying, get back on course, dummy. He probably doesn't say that. But he's saying, get back on course. Turn around. Course correct. With every head bowed and every eye closed. How many people would be honest enough with yourself, with God, and and with me to say, Pastor, I'm not on the right path. I need to, to correct some things in my life. Would anybody be man or woman enough just to raise your hand and say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This this is God saying to you, I love you. This is God speaking to you, saying, there's an easy way to get back on course. Just admit, confess, God, I'm on the wrong course. God, my heart's beginning to, to harden against the things of you. Anyone else? Pastor, that's me. Thank you. Listen, in, in, in first service and in this service, hands went up all across this building. Why is that? Because every breath that you breathe, the enemy is doing everything that he can do to get you off course. And he's good at it. And if we could defeat him on our own, then there would have been no need for Jesus. But what we have to realize and know is that we cannot do it without him. If I would have just turned ways off, I was in a place that I had no idea where I was. I probably would still be driving around Cincinnati. Don't turn God off this morning. He's speaking to you. He's wanting to lead and to guide you. He says the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truths. You may have become lackadaisical in your walk with Christ. You're allowing everything else to crowd in to your soul and to push God out. It needs to stop today. Nothing is more important than having God in your life 
in your family's life, in the lives of your children, in the lives of your co-workers, nothing, absolutely nothing is more important. I told my daughter last night, I said, we go to church on Sunday because it's the most important thing that we do all week. She said, is it more important than school? I said, 100% more important than school. I couldn't care less if you know how to add, if you don't know who Jesus is. I couldn't care less if you can shoot a three-pointer if you don't know who Jesus is. It's the most important thing that we do. Don't allow the world or the enemy to push it out. If I seem angry, it's, I'm angry at the devil. I'm angry at his attacks. Because I know that God has what's best for us. He said, I want you to prosper. Your job's not more important than him. Nothing that you do. We serve a jealous God. And he said, you should have nothing else before me. Nothing. He said, Pastor, that's, that, that's rough preaching. I love you enough to speak the truth. And I pray that you will receive it because it's not me who speaks it. It's from God. I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. I know that today has been longer than normal. But in those days that there was people that would come and they would cry out for rain because there was a drought in the land. And they would say, I'm not moving until the rain falls. So if it is 20 minutes longer than normal, I pray that, that you have the, the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And you'll have the mindset, I'm not going to move until the rain, until the blessing of God falls from heaven. So if you raised your hand, this altar is open. You don't have to come to the altar, but I believe that there's no better way to tell God, I'm serious. I'm going to course correct. And the thing about God is, it doesn't matter how far you've went off path. He will lead you back to the right course. So whether you come to this altar or whether you stand in your seat, ask God, am I on the wrong course? Am I on the wrong path? Am I affecting all those I'm connected to? Admit it, own it, name it, repent of it, and allow God to redeem it. Father, I come before you right now.
God, you see hands that went up all across this building. And God, I pray right now that, that the Holy Spirit will continue to speak into our lives, speak into our hearts. God, we need you. God, we need you more than anything in our lives. And God, I know sometimes it's so easy to, to, to shut you out, not to listen to your voice. God, to tune it out, to turn you off. But God, I pray this morning that you forgive me. Forgive me of those times and those moments that I've had when I've tried to act on my own. God, I stand before you today humble and God, I pray I fall into your hands. God, for those who are standing here today, God, just as it was so important for David when he got to see Ornan, it was so important to him to do what God had asked him to do, that he was willing to sacrifice, he was willing to pay the price to change course. God, I know he could have taken the easy way out, but God, that's not what you were asking for. And God, this morning, I pray, God, that it becomes our heart's cry. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. God, I need you. God, I thank you for loving me so much, for being so merciful. God, your mercy never ceases to amaze me because I don't deserve it. God, thank you for speaking to me through your Holy Spirit and through your word and through wise counsel. your hand or even if you didn't but you know you should have I want you to know that God loves you God doesn't condemn you because he said he sent his son into the world not to condemn the world so being on the wrong path or the wrong course. That's, this is not a condemning message. This is a message of love. This is a message of grace. This is a message of mercy. Because God loves you enough to say, just come home. Forsake it. It doesn't matter to God how far. Just start listening to Him.
he will guide you back on the right path. I've been pastor for almost six years. I've been in ministry for longer than I want to say. And I say this with every thing within me. I've never stood on stage and felt such a heavy burden. Never. From worship to now. And my burden is for people who I know that the enemy is attacking with everything that he has. He's attacking you. And in turn, it's attacking your family. It's attacking everyone that's connected to you. And I'm so, so tired of just standing by Just because you come to church on a Sunday doesn't mean you're on the right path. You can try to fool yourself and say, well, I go to church every Sunday. I'm on the right path. It's not true. It can be, but it's not always the case. And there's times we can think we're on the right path. Have you ever been in that situation? You think you're going the right way? So you just keep going. I'm going the right way. I'm going the right way. And then you get to where you thought you were going and you realize, man, I messed up. I'm tired of the enemy doing that to us. He's so conniving. He's so good. From the, from the very beginning, he has a way with words, just as the serpent did with Eve, to make us think that we're doing what's right. And my burden is for people to get back on course. Because if we're all marching and we're all walking on the same right path, and I'm closing, I promise, but that's why we push life groups so much. Because in a life group, if it's being operated correctly, you have a, a leader who's on the right path. And then you have people that gather around who says, I'm going to stick with this. And so together you're going down the right path. And when you're together, it's really easy. Have you ever, ever been walking with your child? 
And you look away just for a second and, and then you, you turn around and, and they've taken three or four steps the wrong way and you say, no, 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 get back over here. That's why life groups are so important. Because you're walking down a path and you're doing life together. And if you take just one or two steps in the wrong direction, you have somebody say, no, 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 back on path. You're not going to wander off that easy. It's so important. We need each other. We need God. And so my prayer for you today is identify where you went off course. Admit it, own it, name it, cry out to God, repent, forsake it, and allow Him to redeem it. Maybe you were serving God in, in, in ministry at one point and you're not really doing it anymore because the, the enemy has, has drugged you down a path and you got away from it before you even realized it. It's not too late. God's not done with you. We're going to sing a course. I don't care what it is. Whatever you're playing. We're going to sing and we're going to proclaim and then we're going to leave here knowing that God loves us. And he's begging. Get back on course. Make that your cry today. Let it rain, Let it rain God. Father, you are greater and stronger. You have more power than any of them. God, I thank you for your fresh rain. God, I thank you for your presence that we have felt here today. God, we leave here knowing that you want to rain down in our lives. God, as we correct our course, 
God, we cry out to you today. Let us listen to your voice. Through the Holy Spirit, through your word, and through counsel. Father, we receive it today. Circumstances will change. Jesus' name. I pray that the fear inside will flee. In Jesus' name. You know, usually I would uh, apologize. Because I try to be very respectful of your time. But the older I get, the more I realize that God doesn't always work on our time schedule. But what he has for us is worth standing, crying out for. It's, it's worth it. We love you. They're going to keep singing. You can stay as long as you want to stay and as long as they want to sing. If you need to go, have a great, great, great Sunday. Know that God loves you.